Hello and welcome to the Keto Man's Club podcast. We're glad you're here, where each week we talk about men's health and lifestyle. We do so with the foundation of the ketogenic diet and lifestyle. If you don't know what keto is, stick around and you'll find out. The podcast will bring you real honest fun. Each week we strive to uncover the tips and tricks that you can use in your everyday life to maximize your overall health and find the clearest path to becoming the best version of yourself that you were meant to be. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Keto Man's Club podcast. My name is Chris. I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined today by Jim and Alberto as always. How's it going, Jim? It's good. I will admit that I have flattered myself, I think is the right verb, <laughs> with a little bit of calamine lotion. Mm -hmm. I did some weeding over the weekend and oh, yeah, yeah. So it's the itching that you can at least talk about in social circles. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So, all is good, man. How are you, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. I just got uh, back from a, a little bit of a bike ride. I've been, I got my bike worked on a couple weeks ago and I've been slowly but surely getting at least a little bit of a ride in every now, every couple of days at least and uh, really enjoying it. It's kind of one of those things that I, I kind of can... Uh, give myself the justification to get a drink if I ride my bike to quick trip and then, you know, a mile and a half away and get the drink and then ride back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, I just got back from that and trying out a couple different routes to and from trying to do increase the mileage without, without making it too, too terribly hard on myself or going too terribly far out of the way. And so hit about 30 minutes, uh, this one. So that's not bad at all. Yeah. yeah. Alberto, what's new? I decided I'm going to ride out this uh, maintenance on this cut one more week because uh, I wasn't able to train all last week with my uh, tooth getting yanked out of my head. So I haven't, I didn't train yesterday. I didn't train today. Uh, I, it was funny, like the spot itself where they pulled the wisdom tooth wasn't bothering me at all. But like at night, like the whole, I feel like I got punched, which is makes perfect sense if you think about it. And so it's like, it was just, it just bugged me. And the idea of like inertia and lifting just doesn't seem real appealing right now. Mm -hmm. But ironically today, as I was driving home, like, you're kind of afraid to yawn because it hurts. So like you yawn, but you kind of stifle it at the same time. So I yawned and held my mouth in the same spot and my jaw cracked and it hasn't hurt since. So I think maybe that's what it needed. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> a little chiropractic jaw action mm -hmm. through a yawn. Other than that, finally decided to get over my hatred of doctors. Had a doctor appointment today. Yeah. A new clinic, new general practitioner. Wasn't crazy about it, but you know, time to get it done. So that's why I kind of walk in there and, you know, you got to be all messed up and whatnot. And so I check myself in and, you know, they got a TV playing and I'm just thinking and, you know, most of the time it's on some kind of TV show and it's just bad entertainment. And I just hear them like going off and they're talking about sugar and I kind of <laughs> caught my attention. So I look and there's some interview with some, some guy who's in charge of the beverage commission or gets paid by Coke or Pepsi. I don't even know what it was mm -hmm. about because I just walked in on it. But yeah, it turns out they were, uh, they play the documentary Fed Up on a loop today and then every day that you go in there i think they changed the documentary and nice. then you know they had wheat belly was out there grain brain the books were out and i'm like nice whoa, whoa. nice <laughs> i'm like i think this is going to be quite all right so, yeah yeah <laughs> you know i had my little appointment today was just to like establish care I, I don't really need anything but it was it felt really good to have validation of everything you've been doing you know the last few years and then talk to a doctor about it and have them nod their head instead of shake their head at you <laughs> You did so, what? You got rid yeah, of... Yeah, it was really cool. But I mean, like, I'm on their website now just to give you guys, like, the brief rundown. Like, these guys don't play. Like, the 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 doctor who runs this place 
has his own like quote unquote like wellness pyramid, like a food pyramid, and he trademarked it. <laughs> at the very bottom, at the base, is lifestyle and diet change. At the very top is surgery. So like, how cool is that? I mean, this guy's website goes through everything. He calls it the Preventative Ten. Goes from food to how much water you should drink, how to take care of your skin, dental sleep tips, exercise tips, weight, ideal amount of sunlight, how to manage stress, how to purify the air in your house, both mechanically and which plants to put in your house and how many per square footage. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm like this is going to mm. work out great. And this is all mm. on the website, you know, without even having to log in as a patient. It's just yeah. there. So yeah, it, it was a good afternoon. I think you just found my new doctor. I was so happy. <laughs> it, the lady's like, I know, you know, we're very, she's like, we're kind of very woman-based. All the doctors here are female. She's like, we do have a male coming in. She's like, so if you're more comfortable with that, I'm like, no, we're good. I, yeah. we, we, we've connected. We've met. I've seen your eyes. You've seen my eyes. We're, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. Like, you're my doctor. We're cool. Did you mention that you are a world-famous podcaster and share I did not. Story? Well, uh, I tell you, the one thing that was kind of funny was, uh, you know, obviously a lot of, you know, they weigh you and everything. And then she's showing me her little screen and she just looks at it. She's like, well. Ideally, we'd like to see our patients between, I think she said, 16 and 18 for the BMI. She's like, you're at 26, so you're kind of high, but we're just not going to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that, yeah, for, for with your BMI, that just undertones just how messed up the BMI system is because the BMI is so focused on someone that's higher on the fat side versus uh thick and muscular like yourself yeah well i mean the fact that you can draw that conclusion just from taking my height and my weight yeah and and, and put me in an obese category i yep. mean come on that, yep yep so let's talk shop a little bit it, i think things have been good in the club no any new news at this point looks like um we've got most of the t-shirts have been received by our gents across the country mm -hmm. all but so, one i have one on my desk that got returned to sender i need to actually reach out to him and double check their address but yeah it, it seems like all but one very good not yeah. a bad deal hey all things considered yeah not not bad at all so yeah 40 some odd orders and uh, it was really awesome to see that support from so many people, awesome to see the shirts being represented out there and all of that. So that's definitely, definitely a really cool thing. Looking forward to the next drop, whenever that is. We're working on the details. We did a survey on what people would like. And so that gave us some ideas on where we should go. And we'll start getting together on making a plan for, for what to do exactly there before too long. So what what else is going on? Membership is still growing. Where are we at on 101? Let's look at that here real quick. That one's growing. Uh, we're definitely in the 600 pluses six, for sure. 617 currently. And the uh, Kitty Man's Club, 3,500 still. Um, that one's definitely been growing a little bit more slowly, uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I really, I think that's, that's showing good, healthy, slow growth. And I, I think that's a, a good thing. Yeah. So let's see. Let's go ahead and uh, dive into our shout outs real quick. We, we've got lots and lots of, of great stories being shared <coughs> by a lot of people, which is which is really, really cool. Alberto, let's start with you. Mine goes out to we just had a, a good interaction last night, I believe. A member in the main group, Justin Halaska. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. We had gotten on the subject of he just finally got a smart scale. Something to do with a smart scale, and he actually posted a picture of the graph that shows the trend. And I had commented, like, you know what? I go, that graph is all you need. Like, never mind anything attached to it. That graph is all you need. 
And we went back and forth and he said he revealed that he was thinking of me and he took on this challenge where he's going to be running five miles, running or speed walking five miles, three days a week for a total of like 15 miles a week. So that's a more than I ever plan on running. So good for him. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'll throw mine out here real quick. One of our, our members in the main group, and this is honestly a little less of a shout out and more of an encouragement. He posted today say, sharing that he and his wife have had a rough couple months. And one of those reasons is that he had surgery a couple times on his back. And then his wife gave birth to their child way early, unfortunately. And so they are still in NICU with, with, the, with their little one. He's growing and, and things are, are continuing to progress, it sounds like. But he, he's just been having a, a rough go at trying to stay consistent with the diet, which totally makes sense because when you're going back and forth between hospital and trying to do work and trying to do anything and everything else, I, I, the diet is probably the last thing that I would think of. But want to to encourage Brad, keep on working, keep on pushing, lean on us if he needs us. We're here. And and then that little one, we're, we're thinking and praying and uh, hoping for the, the speedy uptick in his health and strength. Yeah, we did good. Brad is my IBD buddy. We actually ah. met that guy in the IBD support group. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> Jim, how about you? My shout out is to Jeremy Ostrander, if I'm pronouncing his name right, hopefully so. And it's not for a transformation or anything, but a fantastic representation of stakes are greater than shakes. Oh, yeah. And he's out in what appears to be his backyard with a plate full of meat pouring in one hand and pouring out the contents of a shaker bottle in the other hand. Yep. And dude has one of those beards that you, all men are jealous of anyway. And <laughs> yes. so the combination of all these different things just made me smile a great mm. deal. So kudos to Jeremy on the true representation of stakes are greater than shakes in real time form. Absolutely. <laughs> he sent me a video of that and I'm going to, I'm going to get around to it. I haven't ever figured out how to make a GIF. So I'm going to make a GIF out of his little video clip and be able to share that with, with people and have that be our, you know, Hey, who, who knows what the best steak or what, what the best shake is. <laughs> <type response. laughs> Please do so. So that will be, that'll be cool. That'll be fun. Okay. Well, today we're, we're doing another kind of question and answer podcast we did the everything carnivore cut last time or last week and this week we're we brought in a one, one of our a return guest in this case and we're excited to be able to get to talk with frank again but this time about all things proteins mainly about how to use them prepare them and eat them because that's always, always enjoyable. And so we've got questions from members of the group that were submitted and, and we're looking forward to have the conversation, but welcome to the, to the show, Frank, uh, welcome back and good to have you. Guys, thanks for having me back. It's uh, good to talk to other human beings. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. Always, <laughs> always good being that we are all uh, kind of a little isolated one in one way or another lately. So what's new with you? What's, what's been happening? You know, I think the, the last six months have just been, I don't know, just kind of putting my nose down, working on new recipes. I literally turned in the manuscript for my first cookbook earlier today. Nice. So, nice. Very, very nice. 
it was re- it was really good time for a publisher to reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to write a book? And I'm like, well, I have nothing literally else better to do <laughs> than get locked in my house for six months and write a cookbook. Yep. So I've been working on that. That's supposed to come out, I'm thinking, early 2021, you know, and I'll have a lot more information on that later. But I literally just finally finished, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and going over it. And I uh, turned it in today. So, yeah, just been doing that a lot, you know, from a cooking standpoint. And then, you know, from an exercise standpoint, I've had some injuries over the last little while. I had gallstones, which never had in my life and that took me down pretty hard and i actually it's it's kind of funny that we're uh, talking about protein today because i had to make some serious changes to how i ate and what i ate and you know i've been kind of navigating that while i've been doing everything else yeah yeah well i'm it's good timing then for us to have this conversation and to have you on for multiple things i'm excited about the uh, the cookbook that's uh, I'm sure that it's going to be top quality stuff and, and really going to be uh, something that I will definitely want on my sh- shelf to uh, reference whenever I'm uh, cooking something because my wife is the type she's uh, really good at, at, you know, just going in the kitchen and making something fabulous. I need step-by-step instructions. I <laughs> it, it doesn't work the other way for me. I have to have something uh, a little more concrete. So I will, will be looking forward to that coming out early next year. So let's, do we want to dive into the questions or any other things that you guys, Jim or Alberto, want to dig into with Frank before we get into all that? I can keep bragging about my doctor if you want. (laughs) No, (laughs) we're good. Cool. Well, Frank, let's just go ahead and start and then we'll kind of meander through these questions here. One of the questions that we got uh, from Mac was organ meats and how to prepare them for folks who have never had them, uh, keeping in mind limited kitchen gadgets. Sure. Obviously, the first one that I think everybody comes to mind and thinks of is liver. And I'll be the first one to admit I hate liver. You know, it's a very, I mean, it's about as good for you as a meat can get. So Mm -hmm. we'll start off with that. But it's got a very strong, you know, kind of irony taste. And so to combat that, There's a lot of different things you can do. One thing that I like to do personally is soak it in either milk or cream. You know, so if you're not really going to be consuming the milk. So from a carb standpoint, it's not that big a deal. You're more of using it as a marinade. But if you really want to even cut that down, you go ahead and use some heavy cream, maybe cut with water. Mm. And that's going to leach out some of that iron and that kind of irony taste. So that's one way that I try to kind of calm down the flavor of a liver. Obviously, mixing it with butter and onions and bacon, that's going to be a great way to incorporate it into a dish. And then you don't have to eat ounces of liver. That's the cool thing about how nutritionally dense it is, is that you don't need to eat a 12-ounce liver steak. Um, so you can grind it and, or chop it up and yeah, mix it in with others. I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I've made friends with my butcher and I implore you, if you have a butcher in your neighborhood, go find them and become pals with them, you know, do what you got to do. Talk shop with them because it's invaluable to have somebody who, can get those cuts of meat that maybe aren't going to be on the grocery store shelf for you just waiting. And uh, so what I had my butcher do is I had him make me a custom grind. 
And so he took 10% liver, 30% heart, and 50% brisket. Love it. And we ground it all together. And I call it werewolf meat. And <laughs> so, so I use that. I can make meatloafs out of it. I can make burgers out of it. I can make anything that you would use ground beef for. Yeah. But I've just fortified it with a ton more nutrients. So, um, Is it very fatty? Well, heart is incredibly lean. Liver is mm-hmm. incredibly lean. Yes. Right. Brisket is fatty. And what I do is... The cool thing is most of the people at a grocery store or a butcher shop want the flat part of the brisket, which mm-hmm. is the leaner part. Well, I want the point. I want that fat mm-hmm. cap point. So he grinds that for me. So yeah. that makes up for the lean organ meats. So okay. you end up getting a, a nice grind. And if they don't have brisket, you could use sirloin, uh, chuck, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, work with your butcher based on what they have available. But yeah, if you can get 10% liver into your grind, you're going to, you're going to really add a lot of nutritional value to, you know, ground meat. And it's a much more palatable way to, you know, to get organ meat in there. You know, I I fed it to people that would have never eaten liver. And when I told them it was, you know, and after they, you know, hit me and, you know, why the hell did you feed me that? They got over it and they were like, that was actually pretty good. So you know, that's, you know, liver's the big one. Heart, heart is a really good one. It sounds intimidating because, you know, you're eating the heart of another animal, but it's lean. It's got a very beefy kind of steak type of texture. And, uh, you know, I treat that just like I would, you know, like a flank steak or a skirt steak. I'll kind of like butterfly it out, cut it thin, maybe hammer it out and tenderize it. And then you can just sear it up. I actually have a recipe on my website for beef heart skewers, where I just cube them up into little, you know, one inch cubes, put them on a skewer, marinate them overnight with, uh, you know, coconut aminos, ginger, garlic, soy, you know, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, grill it up and it's delicious. So that's another way to kind of get that in there. That beef hearts on my list of, uh, of recipes to make. It just sounds um, super intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you touched on it. You touched on it a little bit, but organ grinds was another thing that Zane had asked about. So you have your werewolf me. I've I know Danny Vega. He grinds his own and kind of combines several different cuts of meat. I think what I would probably personally do would uh, be have them get the the high fat, you know, twenty seven percent fat ground beef mix in liver and heart and you know whatever other cheap organ meat and maybe build on that or something like that does that make sense to you sure yeah but the brisket idea totally would be awesome you know something you could do just if you wanted to keep it simple and do it on your own and like you said go out and get that uh 27 fat ground beef and then buy some liver throw it in the food processor and then just kind of fold them and combine those two together And so like, you know, if you're working from home and that's what you got to work with, if you do have a grinder, freeze the meat. I can't get, that's very important. It really helps the meat instead of turning to mush and smashing it, you're going to get a better grind if the meat is frozen. So, and you want all the working parts of the grinder to be frozen. So all the, the working parts of it need to be cold because hot meat just doesn't grind well. That's a, a really good call out. I would have never known that. And whenever I have done, I, I tried to incorporate liver a, a little bit into my into my diet a little bit more. And I just I kind of tried to to 
blend it. I didn't grind it too much. I used my food processor just to kind of merge it all. And it was just this mushy, like it wasn't good. And so, yeah, the, I could see where having it frozen and putting it through a true grinder would definitely be better. Yeah. Even yeah, if you're sure. using a food processor, mm-hmm. still go ahead and, you know, doesn't have to be rock solid, but get it to where it's almost, you know, solid frozen. And then when you hit it in the food processor, just pulse it. You yeah. don't want to put it on a steady, you know, you don't want to just hit the button and walk away. Mm-hmm. You want to kind of pulse it like you would, you know, ice cubes. And you're just kind of trying to bust it up and get it to that consistency that you want. I actually think Danny Vega puts a little bit of bacon in uh-huh. his yes, uh, ground. I think it's beef so, bacon, isn't it? You know, yeah, I'm know. not sure. I have the recipe too. Either way, if you, yeah, yeah, even better. (laughs) Yeah, any bacon that you can get your hands on. Yeah, any bacon is good. You know, and that's going to add a smokiness to it. Sure. And that's you know another layer of flavor to kind of distract from the liver. Yeah, another. Well, we talked about this last week, so it's going to appear on two episodes in a row. But uh, chicken hearts, extremely cheap to play with. Uh, Same thing. A little odd at first because it's a chicken heart, and you get them in like a giant package of a pound so there's a bunch of chicken hearts in there and they look exactly like how they sound little tiny hearts uh they can be a little mm-hmm. intimidating at first but what i found and this was what I, uh what worked for me because i just i tried cooking them in butter i just couldn't get them down the texture i just couldn't get past the fact that it's a little tiny heart that looks like a little tiny heart freaked me out but uh, i would just made a simple brine just salt and water uh brine them overnight uh rinse them out wrap each heart in a, a half a slice of bacon and stick a toothpick through it and then I've done them over charcoal. I've done them on the smoker. I'm sure you could do it on a skillet, but you basically just you cook them until the bacon is as crispy as you want it. And at that yep. point, the brining completely changes the texture to where you almost feels like you're biting into like a, like a really firm black olive as opposed to something that's actually giving you quite a bit of resistance. And then at that point, it tastes more like bacon than it really does anything else. So it's much easier to palate that way. And I found that like that was my training wheels into any of you know these organ meats. And, and like I said, they're cheap enough to, to play with and not mm-hmm. feel bad if it just doesn't work out. So a big package of them the other day whenever I was doing some grocery shopping. I really thought about it. And I'm like, eh, I'm not sure I want to go to all the work. <laughs> yeah, but... Smoking them is the way to go because yeah. it dries them out a little bit. Okay. And, you know, and it gets that bacon to shrink real tight mm-hmm. around that heart. And then when you bite into it, it's... it's I mean, it's a very unique texture. It's hard to describe, but it, it's not like it, it's not like crazy juicy to where you bite into it. It's going to gross you out. Are you? Are, no, did you it, say that you're putting them on skewers, or are you? Um, yeah, I, I'll either stab a, a Q-tip through them, or I'll just line up a whole row of them on skewers and just mm-hmm. throw that you know four or five skewers and throw those on the smoker. And okay. I'll I'll do them slow and low until the bacon is where I want it, which is usually pretty crispy. Okay. So Zach asked a question kind of parallel to this, and it was organ meats and their substitutes and the value to the health. So we've talked a little bit about the value to the health, that if you're talking about nutrient density, you are absolutely going to get the biggest bang for your buck from organs because that's where where a lot of that concentrates in all, you know, all of the bodies, whether it be, you know, chicken, beef, uh, lamb or whatever. And so we already know that just in general that the the concentration of the really good stuff is going to be in the the organs. But what about substitutes? Well, I mean, you know, from a obviously you've got muscle meat and you've got organ meat, you know. Mm-hmm. So then I guess once you if organ meat's not for you, then I guess we could debate what's going to be the best and most nutrient dense muscle meat. And for me, that's probably going to be a ribeye. 
you know, that's got the best marbling. That's got the best fat content, leaner cuts like filet mignon, you know, tenderloin, they're going to be the leanest. So they're probably going to have a, you know, they're less caloric dense uh, right off the bat and there's going to be less fat in them. There's going to be less vitamin in them. And, uh, you know, so that's, you know, kind of, I think with organ meat, you just got to kind of make your peace with it. Like you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And grinding is definitely the easiest way to introduce yourself to it. You know, marinating, things like that. So I don't know if that answers the question or if it, it it's kind of a tough one. The, yeah. There's not a, a real substitute. Yeah. I mean, we can that, talk that, about that's you know, fish oil. That. Yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, like it's trying to compare that and be like, well, I don't want to eat meat, but which vegetarian version is the best tasting? <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. it, it's, yeah. it's kind of tough. It's like asking, you know, what kind of tofu is best? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no food. There's no yeah, answer. No, no food. Yeah. Right. I will throw it out there for those who don't want to deal with the taste of liver or pancreas or whatever the things are that they that they're worried about the truth is that we do have options now you've got all sorts of different supplement companies that are out there that are creating different blends or providing pills that are desiccated liver or spleen or whatever i have because i was kind of low on iron in my blood tests there for a while i uh, took a desiccated spleen for a while so that i could uh, try to amp up that the iron intake now i'm just taking the I'm taking about a half dose, which is three three capsules of liver, beef liver every day, and that's a way that I'm getting into it, getting it in along with my other basic supplementation. But I'm also doing that on a very specific reason, as I've pointed out before. I get blood work every six months, and that gives me feedback on okay, I need to add a little bit of this, cut back on this. This is working. This is not, and so I'm able to to create targeted supplementation pills wise that way and you know some of us they we just need to incorporate some liver and that's probably easier to do than we think but it's if you want the quote-unquote easy way out that's a a great way to go it's a good one and i you you actually just jogged my memory i see a lot of people on instagram cutting up liver frozen Mm -hmm. liver Mm -hmm. into little pills almost and just swallowing them whole Mm -hmm. yeah i've been doing that i've never (laughs) done it myself yeah but it, that, it, that works. Works. it works and it works well. It doesn't taste like anything because uh, my I'm aiming for a half ounce a day, which ends up being, you know, obviously depends on the size you cut them, but roughly 15 little tiny pills. Let's just call them. It, it works well. Liver thaws extremely fast and the edges tend to, get a little, t- tend to get like, I don't want to say the edges get sharp, but if you're cutting, it, it cuts easier when it's frozen. So you want to cut it frozen, uh, weigh it out. I would, I, I actually started layering half ounce layers with parchment paper in between in a Tupperware and then throwing that whole Tupperware in the freezer. So I'd be able to open it up, pull my little like uh, parchment tray out with my little 15 pieces on there. And what worked best for me is a uh, pop one or two in my mouth, gently chew it just a little bit to round off the edges and then just slam it with some water. And honestly, you really, you re- maybe one out of the 15, I'll, I'll hold in my mouth too long. And I actually be able to taste it, but for the most part, it is a hundred percent flavorless. So I'm, question about liver because i'm not a liver fan at all i'm curious if liver is a meat that will hold a a breading so to speak like i've done chicken before where i've kind of gone the taste chick-fil-a but instead of a bread crust i've taken crushed up pork rinds and you know done an egg wash and done that 
is there anything different with liver that would not make it do that? I think it would lend itself well to that. Are there any seasonings that would really complement it well? Uh, heavy seasonings. <laughs> I'm Don't with be shy. Bread it well. You know, for me, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, basically you're almost trying to cure it while you're breading it. <laughs> right. What I would do is with beef, I always like the, the big four. I like salt, pepper, onion, garlic. And I think you really, when you're dealing with beef, you can't go wrong with those seasonings. So probably what I would do is I would incorporate those into the breading. I would also incorporate those seasonings into the egg wash. And also in this case, I would probably let that liver soak in maybe like a little bit of heavy cream or something instead of using an egg wash, do a little cream wash, if you will. Uh, and that should also kind of leach out a little bit of the flavor so that when you do bread, there you go. So yeah, breading it, chicken gizzards. When Alberto was talking about hearts, mm -hmm. uh, I grew up eating fried gizzards, which are, they sound terrifying. I mean, <laughs> I come up with a worse name, but uh, there's actually another Southern dish called gizzards and gravy, where they actually pressure cook the uh, the gizzards and then serve it with like this kind of chicken part gravy that they make mm -hmm. out of like all the bones and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe this fall when it's, you know, comfort food season, I'll work on a keto fied version of that recipe. Mm, sounds interesting. <laughs> I'm sure it'll I, be the, the hit of Instagram. <laughs> I, somebody that we had on the show, I forget who it was. They, they gave us the, was it Greg that provided the, the kind of the recipe for chicken heart soup or the chicken heart ben. broth. And yeah. And that's just, it's, again, I, that was actually what I thought of when I saw the chicken hearts at the store. I'm like, I think I could, I'm not huge on soups or broths. I, I'm just not, but I'm like, I, I, I've got to try it sometime because it well, just he did a really intriguing. good job of selling it too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of those things I've got to try it sometimes. So it will be, uh, it'll be an adventure, but yeah, you're, what you're talking about, uh, sounds interesting too. And I'd love to. To, to hear that one last question mm -hmm. uh soaking the liver and milk or the heavy whipping cream slash water mixture how long are we soaking for i would do at least three to four hours you know that's something Perfect. you could do in the morning before you go to work or the night before even yeah you can definitely do it the night before and that's also going to help tenderize it too which you know it, it is it's kind of this cross because it is tender, but then it can be a little chewy and gristly too. So anything we can do to make the, the texture a little bit better and more palatable, I think is going to make it a more enjoyable experience to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Uh, yeah. I think just a little bit of pre-work on that type of thing can go a long way sometimes. So that's really cool to, to get to hear that. Okay. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about poultry. We'll start with the first question. Why turkey isn't a real <laughs> option for meat. This sounds more uh, like a thesis report that is, you know, like going back to the history of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's your feelings on that, Frank? I like turkey. Yeah. I don't know what turkey did to anybody else. Yeah. And, yeah you know, um, kind of going back to me, I have had this with the gallbladder. I've actually had to, this is going to sound sacrilegious. I've had to cut back drastically on the amount of fat that I've been able to eat. And I took it almost down to zero to the point where I was eating zero fat a day because if I went over 10 to 15 grams in one sitting, I would have these horrific abdominal pain. And 
what we did was I, I worked, I just changed my diet. I gave my body a break. I did take a medication to maybe help, you know, get rid of the gallstones. And then I kind of slowly, these last couple months, started reintroducing fat. And I'm up to about 25 grams of fat per meal. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I'm good with that. But it was, I had to take about two, three months off and just eat turkey breast. Canadian bacon was the only thing. I even had to buy turkey bacon, which wow, that's 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 that, sacrilege. That was a new low for me. Yeah, that, that's sacrilege. You know, people right ask there. what hitting rock bottom is like. Like <laughs> turkey bacon. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's uh, great. So I totally understand that. Now, on a side note, are you doing ox bile or anything like that to help with all that? I yes. So I figured right as much. Now, just uh, I, I I just thought I'd ask. Yeah, I'm doing the uh, the Lipo Gold, which is a blend of God, some weird stuff. I'll give a shout out to Christina from Castaway Kitchen. Mm-hmm. She's been a big help. She's been awesome. I've known her for a couple of years. She doesn't live too far away from me. Well, actually, she's down in Florida now. But when she was in Virginia, uh, just up the road in Maryland, so I've worked with her on a few things. But I, I called her up because she's a, a nutritional practitioner. And she is a wealth of knowledge. So if you're having anything weird and you need to maybe get some good advice, check out her website, uh, thecastawaykitchen.com. But uh, yeah, I talked to her and she recommended me try a few things. And so I, I kind of incorporated a lot of stuff. Yeah, the ox bile. Yeah, they really need to come up with better names for this stuff. Yeah. yeah. None of it but sounds yeah. appetizing, but, it, but it, it's great for you. No, we're swallowing frozen liver and eating ox bile. You know, <laughs> don't tell us we don't know how to party. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and then living down here in Texas, uh, I don't know, man. You go to a barbecue joint and you get some barbecue smoked turkey, and uh, there's mm-hmm. nothing else like it. Yeah, like, I'm not a huge. It's fan the best. Turkey, but yeah, properly brined and smoked turkey breast is absolutely amazing. Yeah. The key that everybody, you know, I think especially in Central Texas down there, that they do is they take the skin off the turkey breast. And at first you're like, oh man, but the skin's so good. But the problem with long smokes and skin is it absorbs all the bitterness of the wood mm-hmm. and it's just unpleasant. The skin gets rubbery. It's it's just over smoked and it doesn't mm-hmm. have a good flavor. So when they do it, they do a real simple, you know, salt and pepper, you know, post oak, low and slow smoke and the turkey breast at any of those restaurants down there is the the hidden gem of any Mm. good barbecue restaurant yeah my it's not turkey but in lexington where my wife is originally from and here in texas there's a uh, very small only open on saturday barbecue uh place called snow's barbecue and yes, and she, uh, Tootsie, who is the, the head chef, so to speak, she mid eighties, almost 90 type, you know, age. And yep. she is, uh, she's out there doing her thing every Saturday, but I've had it myself. Her chicken, her smoked chicken is some of the best smoked chicken or just chicken in general that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and that's me having it when it's kind of been cold and sitting on a counter, probably waiting for me for an hour or two, whenever we get up there late, it's still that good. So it's really, it really can, it can be really good stuff when you do it right, for sure. There's actually a uh, Netflix uh, chef's table barbecue edition that Mm -hmm. she's going to be featured in. Yes. I believe it comes out in a week or two. 
Uh, it would surprise me. So yeah, by the time this airs, that should be out there. And yeah, Snow's Barbecue in Lexington, Texas is absolutely one of the best barbecue places in the state for sure. So let's further talk about poultry. Someone specifically asked about duck, wild duck, or goose. Well, I can tell you duck I love. It's got a huge, well, depending on what type of uh, preparation you're doing, you know, if you're going to cook a whole duck, the key to a whole duck is a ton of fat, way more fat than any chicken or anything like that. So you really got to dry out that skin. Uh, A lot of times what they'll do when they make Peking duck at Asian restaurants, what they actually do is they have um, compressed air. And they'll actually take the whole duck and shoot compressed air between the skin and the body to separate it hmm. so that when the skin cooks, it actually gets very crispy. So I'm not recommending you take a duck out to your you know, mechanic shop and <laughs> you know, shoot it with the, the air gun. But just to give you an idea, that is kind of a method that's used a lot. So if I'm going to cook a whole duck, I'm pulling that duck out and patting it dry and rubbing it down with salt two days before I even cook it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's a, the keys. A, a dry brine for a couple of days ahead of time then. Yep. Dry brine. And then for me, I like to go low and slow with the duck and really render out as much of that fat as possible. And then at the very end, I'm going to crank up the heat and uh, crisp it up. And I don't have any, something actually I have on my list was to get some duck recipes done. And I've got a whole duck in my freezer and I've got a couple duck breasts but I actually haven't had a chance to uh, cook them up. Duck breast is probably the easiest way to incorporate some duck. It's got a, a real thick layer of fat on the uh, the breast, on the top of the breast. And what you want to do is just score that, give it a good seasoning of salt. And you want a really hot pan and you want it dry. You don't want to add oil to it because the, there's so much fat in the skin. You put the the duck in. And what you'll actually do is start it in a cold pan and then turn it on hot. So mm. by the time it raises up and is actually hot, it's already rendered enough fat to cook itself in. Cool. So hmm. you'll cook it for, you know, let's say seven to eight, nine minutes on one side on that skin. And don't touch it. Don't mm-hmm. move it. So you're going to actually cook it about 70% of the way on that fat side, and then you're going to finish it off by flipping it over. Very cool. That's very similar to Carrie Brown's uh, tactic for um, pork chops. She said, start with a stone cold pan. Yep. Yeah. That's what I do with bacon too. Mm -hmm. I start baking off clothes for that reason. Cause then, you know, by the time the thing warms up then you're cooking it in its own grease and you don't get that, you throw it on there hot, it just sticks to it. And nobody likes ruined bacon. (laughs) No, that's a, a sad, sad day. Yeah. Okay, But yeah, as far as goose goes, Mm -hmm. goose is a lot different. I'll be honest with you. I've got a friend who's a big hunter and he gets a lot of goose and uh, he processes it. He does a lot of stuff with it, but it can have, it's a much more strong flavor than duck or any of the other game fowl. So, and it's greasier. Mm. It's almost all dark meat. So Mm. it's, it's definitely, it's good for stews. It's good for soups. You know, because you can kind of incorporate it uh, with other things. But yeah, I'm, I'll be honest. Wild goose is not my favorite thing. I'm, I'm definitely more on the duck side. Yeah, that's interesting. That goose would be almost entirely dark meat. That I, I'm not sure I would have 
assumed such things, but it's uh, good to know because they're that evil creatures. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're flying um, rats. <laughs> so uh, along the same lines as well, talking about uh, David Blako, our, our good friend, he asked about grilling poultry bone-in versus boneless. I think that comes down to just being a personal preference. If you're cooking bone-in, it's going to take longer, you know, so that you've got that to think about right off the bat. For me, it's all about what the preparation is going to be. If you're looking to just eat some quick chicken thighs and you just want to throw them in a pan or throw them on the grill and be done with it, boneless, skinless is really easy. If you like that bone and, and having that skin, then you know that's fine, but you're going to have to treat it a little bit differently. Uh, again, you want to render the fat out of the skin. One thing about dark meat versus white meat, especially with you know chicken and turkey, White meat, I always cook to about 165 degrees, but dark meat like thighs and wings, I always cook to about 175 to 180. And I think that's a common mistake that people don't cook their dark meat long enough. And it's not a health thing. It's that the dark meat takes longer to break down the collagens and separate <clears throat> from the bone. So if you've ever eaten a piece of dark meat where it's kind of like good on the outside, but then when you take the bite closest to the bone, it's almost chewy and tastes underdone. That's what that is. And it's not bad. It's not like they undercooked it. But from an optimal palate perspective, mm -hmm. you want to cook that to about 185, you know, somewhere in that 180 range. Who was it that we heard that the best way to know that chicken leg is done is when the skin starts creeping up the bone? Oh, we were talking about chicken thighs. That was very recently. And I, I remember the conversation, but I'm not even going to try mm -hmm. to guess who it was because I'll probably get it wrong. Yeah, it, it was. Well, that, wasn't it Tony? It might have been. The most recent Tony we had on? Yeah, maybe. Keto Collide? I think hmm. that's who it was. Yeah, that was a good tip. That was one that I will definitely remember and use. And and I think that goes right along with what you're saying, Frank, is at that point when the skin and the and everything starts to creep up the bone, you've got that you know thorough cook all the way through. There's some separation there and all of that. Well, it's so almost Frank like uh, ribs. If you, if you think about, you know, when the ribs kind of creep up on the bone, you know you're getting close mm -hmm. as well with, you know, pork and beef. Yeah. So, Frank, if you're cooking – whether it be chicken, bone-in chicken, or whatever the case may be, we've talked about bone broth and things like that. Are there better ways of cooking with the bone in that makes the using the bone for bone broth later a good thing? Like you see, like is there a step-by-step -step that you people should follow to maximize the the bone broth if that's something you want to do? Well, I think that if you're gonna do, it really again, it all comes down to what your final goal is. If you just want to, you know, if you're just trying to eat dinner that night and you're not thinking about like using every part of the animal and all that right. stuff, then just buy the cut you intend to eat. But if let's say you did have a bone in chicken thighs, but you didn't want the bone, you could cut them, you know, remove the bone and put it in a freezer bag and make bone broth at a later date. Anytime you make any kind of bone broth, in my personal opinion, and most restaurants you'll find, roasting the bones is key before you put it in a liquid. Mm -hmm. So you're going to bring out all of that flavor. You're going to roast it, maybe get some aromatic vegetables like celery and onion and garlic and throw that in a pan. And you can really roast the hell out of them. I mean, you can do about an hour at 425 to 450 degrees until those bones are just kind of just before they're charred, you know, you want them nice and golden 
and then you would transfer all those bones and cartilage and all that good stuff into a big pot of water and then just put it on low and forget about it. And the difference in the flavor of, you know, a broth that you just took raw bones and threw them in a pot of water versus taking that extra time to roast the bones is massive. And that's the difference between a good soup and a great soup, you know, because it all, oh, you know, the broth is obviously the foundation of any good soup. So, or if, you know, you're even just drinking it, you know, as a bone broth, you really want to go ahead and roast those bones ahead of time. And that goes with, you know, a whole bird, you know, if you're buying a whole chicken and honestly for like home use, I know Rob Wolf does this, even if he's eating like pork chops and ribs and a whole chicken, at the end of the meal, he'll take all of those bones and whatever carcass is left over and he'll freeze it all together. So you can mix bones. You know, it's, it, if you're going to make a broth later, it doesn't all have to be beef. It doesn't all have to be pork. It doesn't have to all be chicken. You can kind of just get what you get and save it up until you have enough bones to uh, go ahead and make a broth. So real quick, because I know Berto's got a question, but I, I want to ask. So when you go to your butcher, what do you find are the best bones to ask for to make bone broth? Shank bones are always the best. And they actually sometimes call them soup bones, you know, because that's going to have that good marrow. You know, the femur bone of any cow is, if you ever see like bone marrow served at a restaurant, that's always coming off like that femur bone. And they'll either just slice them into like one, two inch, you know, discs or they'll just split it straight down the middle vertically. And, uh, and then, you know, you can roast it and that stuff's delicious. That's uh, nature's butter. <laughs> a real quick question on chicken, only because I don't cook it often. So it still kind of freaks me out sometimes. And I mean, you get to see almost everything I cook before most other people do. Because every time I cook something, it comes out good. First pictures go straight to Frank <laughs> almost every single time. <laughs> but that day I was making those, uh, that, what was it? The chicken quarters with the, the Alabama white sauce. I think yes. I know what I did. But I want to make sure I want to get your opinion on it and uh, and see what was wrong. Uh, everything I shouldn't say wrong, but what came out a little odd. Everything temped out fine. Stacked the probe in there was making sure everything cooked good. But when we cut one of the thighs open, it was extremely red down by the bone. Do you remember what temperature you cooked it to? Not did, off did the top you, of my head. You, see, I'm thinking you probably cooked it to 160, 165, which is done. But you're still against that bone going to have some meat that still and, you know, sometimes on especially dark meat, you do have those little kind of blood pockets, we'll call them, that if you cook it to 180, those will break down. But at 160, they're still going to be there. And it definitely freaks you out. It doesn't look appetizing. Uh, Sometimes you see it on wings that haven't been cooked uh, long enough. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're undercooked. It just means that they're not optimally cooked. That probably was it then. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's good to know. Because I mean, yeah. I, what because what I had assumed had happened was I, as I was probing it, I thought maybe I just jabbed that probe straight to the bone <laughs> and got into like the marrow, and then I was. And it only happened on one piece, and I'm like, uh. And unfortunately, it was a piece that well, my nine year old daughter. <laughs> ooh, yeah. One thing I will say is, whenever you're cooking any kind of meat, always probe the biggest one. You know what I mean? So find. The big, if you got six pieces of chicken, find the biggest, thickest one and probe that. Because if that one's done, you know the rest are done. Absolutely. That, yeah, that, that makes sense. And uh, next question, and I'm going to read this one because it's kind of an inside joke from another group we're in. 
and it, it's going to go quickly. But <laughs> our good friend Johan, Johan, I don't even know how to pronounce that his name. Rolex, Rolex. I don't know. I love that guy's name. It just sounds awesome. He said, uh, "Steak or chicken when cutting, and then fish versus poultry versus ruminants." And the joke behind the steak versus chicken when cutting is we're also in a different group together that's all about fitness. And Johan's a freaking animal. And someone had made the blanket statement that you can't eat beef when you're trying to cut weight because it's not going to work because it's too fatty and there's no way it's going to work. And so, you know, him being keto and him knowing me, he immediately tagged me in that post and then we had a grand old time with it. But that was the whole steak versus chicken thing. Obviously, when it comes to if you're cutting weight, it's, it's whatever you feel like eating in proper amounts. You know, people tend to lean towards chicken because you can get more of it as far as volume goes. But for me personally, the downside of that is chicken for me is extremely unsatisfying. Like if we're going the straight low calorie, low fat, strictly for protein, you know, you're going boneless, skinless chicken breast. I can eat it, but I get sick of eating it rather quickly. And then I'm hungry again very quickly. Whereas steak, yeah, I'll probably have to eat less volume because it's more nutrient dense, more calories, but it leaves me satisfied a lot longer. And then go ahead. It's funny you bring that up because that was something I was listening to a podcast, Spencer Nadolski. I don't know if you've come across him. He's one of those guys that doesn't necessarily do the keto. He doesn't necessarily do the, you know, he's got something to say about everything, but you know, something he was talking about was finding that satiety balance. You can eat a whole stick of butter and man, that's going to fill you up and it's, but it's a ton of calories. Just, it's almost just fat for the sake of fat. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have chicken breast, which is just all protein and no fat. And like you said, it doesn't keep you satisfied. But if you find that balance where it's got X amount of protein and X amount of fat and it's good for you, it keeps you filled up longer and it meets your caloric needs. I think that's the winning combination, no matter what type of food it is. You know, if you're eating a leaner cut like a pork chop, Instead of like a pork shoulder, you may want to add a you know piece of butter to it, or you might want to you know dip it in you know mayonnaise or you know whatever it is. So finding that that balance of that protein to fat that's going to keep you full the longest, I think, is what's key. Yeah, and speaking from very recent personal experience, when you're purposely cutting calories hard, and you know it starts to get a little painful, and I mean anything that'll give you a little mental break and anything that you're going to enjoy, I would suggest go for that. Like, yeah, I could have swapped out all my beef for chicken when I was cutting and eating a lot more, but I would have been miserable and that that would not have been fun. Whereas people thought I was lying when I said during this most recent cut, my entire day was based around starting off with a pound of ground beef and a pound of ground beef took care Mm -hmm. of about 1100 of my calories, which is just under, just over half of my calories. And then from that, from after that pound of ground beef, that was calculated for every single day. Then around that, I would fill in with maybe a little bit of chicken, maybe some tuna, you know, pork chops, pork sirloins, steaks, you know, whatever. But it was all based around eating a pound of ground beef a day. And I found that as sad, I want to say very satisfying. It's It was as satisfying as it was going to get when you are quite literally starving yourself for the sake of vanity. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you a question. So you could have had a protein shake. You could have had one of those like kind of fat bomb, you know, protein shakes. In my experience, even the ones that are high caloric, they don't fill me up. They just kind of like, I drink a protein shake and I'm like, yeah, you know, like, what was the point of that? And I'd much rather eat food than drink. Yeah. Shake. And it, no, but I, there's I people agree. that think the, the exact opposite. 
Yeah, and I, I don't understand what it, I mean because I mean the average protein shake you're still going to have some calories. Like the one I, I take on occasion, I think is still 100 calories. There's still calories in it. But mind you, 100 is not much, but you're based, in my opinion. I'm not any more satisfied than if I were to drink twice that volume in water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're getting a little protein right. in there, sure. But the drinking your calories was great for bulking because for that exact reason, you could pound a ton of calories and not fill up. You know, the same goes for like bulletproof coffees and that kind of thing. I you know my bulletproof coffee was 500 calories and I could drink one of that and eat breakfast, which is great when that's the goal. But it, it sure. is, yeah, I, I definitely would did not recommend that. With what with the cut, the only thing I was doing with the cut was because I was so drastically low, which was I was not eating for performance. So let's get that right off the bat. You're, there's a difference between eating for performance. There's a difference between eating for a look. What bodybuilders do, and I, I was kind of going sure. the bodybuilder approach. Now, I was drinking one protein shake mixed with coffee in the morning, right before I went to the gym, because I was just kind of so depleted calorically that I needed to have something in me to to kind of burn off as I worked out. Because I otherwise I, I don't know if I would have had the energy. My workouts would have been absolutely miserable. And it's not like I invented the wheel on this. You know, I talked to a bunch of people, and, and they all agreed. Like when you're this much of a caloric deficit, it's in your best interest to get a whey protein shake in you, at least maybe a little bit of fat, because you know it, it's going to digest quickly. It's not going to have you feeling full, and you're going to be able to at least get in there and have a little something extra to push you through your workout. Because they're going to get extremely difficult, and they did get extremely difficult. I can imagine. I can imagine. We, we kind of. So that did kind of speak to one of the questions, which was protein powders versus versus other things. And and I, I that's been my experience as well. I'll, I'll be honest. I can eat a keto brick. It's full of great nutrition, good fat, good protein. I don't always feel full afterwards. And that's something so- technically solid. And so yeah. I think there is something very specific that triggers our satiety response in our body to eating real food versus a protein powder or um, a meal replacement of some sort and and all of that. And I, I will, I think it goes without saying we are definitely pro real food, <laughs> steaks over shakes mm-hmm. and everything else. But, you know, if you do have to supplement with something like Berto said that during his cut, he actually did supplement with it just a little bit one scoop of protein powder at the you know at the beginning of the day as his pre-workout if you're going to do that make sure that you're getting a very high quality whey protein isolate is what we would normally say because that's going to get the least amount of insulin response so you if you're wanting to limit a, a glucose response that's what, the way to go and make sure that it's, it's good and high quality versus one of the Joe Blow protein brands yeah, that are out there yeah and like the go-to standard that is available almost anywhere would be Dimatize ISO 100. But the yeah. one I bought was uh, actually sweetened with stevia and it was vanilla. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, a very neutral flavor that can go in any direction. Mm-hmm. And actually, once I got my tooth yanked and I was kind of stuck on the softer foods the first couple of days, I was actually mixing a scoop with a, a half a cup of yogurt, a Bulgarian yogurt for the probiotics because the antibiotics were tearing me up inside. So that, that, would, that was kind of like my go-to soft food, just throw a quick scoop in there. And then, you know, I'd, I'd at least be able to get something in me that, that wasn't going to ha- have any chance of irritating the gaping wound in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Now, mixing the, uh, the protein powders with yogurt is actually a good move. And uh, I've done that as a quick dessert from time to time, you know, doing like a scoop of protein powder and maybe a scoop of peanut butter powder and putting that into a Greek yogurt. And uh, that at least... 
I can kind of take my time to eat that. You know, I feel like shakes, I just chug them down. But at least with the yogurt, you know, you're going one spoonful at a time. And, you know, if you're not eating like a jackass, you can kind of make it last a while. Yeah, it, it, it works. It so. works good, you know. And, I, you know, like you said, it's always going to be steaks over shakes. Mm-hmm. And like, as I stated, if you were to take my caloric and protein intake for the day and then, you know, calculate what percentage actually came out of a tub, it is extremely small over the course yeah. of a week, you know, let alone a month. Okay. Two, mm-hmm. two more questions from the, the crowd. And one of them we could make an entire episode on. So we'll probably <laughs> hit that last and somewhat quickly for now. But Jim, our, our very own Jim asked, uh, when shopping for a ground beef, do you go with 80, 20, 90, 10? What if, what if it's part of a recipe instead of just being making burgers? How does that fat percentage play a role? I have mixed feelings on this. It's something that I think when I first started keto, I always bought the fattiest ground beef I could get. And it's normally cheaper. You know, I think it's what the 73, 27. And that's normally like the Econo tube that you can get at Walmart. And 80-20 is kind of the happy medium, I think. It's great in just about any single recipe. If you're going to make a meatloaf, if you're going to make you know, any use that you have for ground meat, 80, 20, I think is the sweet spot for me. When I was having the gallbladder issues, I had to go to a 96% lean ground beef and I could still only have about four ounces at a serving. So that's a great option. If you're really maybe during a cut and you're really, you've upped your protein and lowered your fat for a time period. The the cool thing about the 95% lean is you don't need to drain off any fat. Mm -hmm. And the only issue with using the really fatty uh, ground beef is that sometimes it does make your recipes greasy. I have a shepherd's pie recipe where I top it with mashed cauliflower instead of mashed potatoes. It's really good. But man, if I don't use like an 85% lean ground beef, it just, it's soup and it's grease soup. And I would rather have lean ground beef and mm-hmm. add a pad of uh grass-fed butter to it mm-hmm. and control a the quality of the, the grass-fed butter and b the amount of fat that i have than just drinking you know ground beef fat soup sure you know so if you're going to make a burger the other thing you have to think about is the shrinkage the fattier cuts are going to shrink up a lot when you cook them mm-hmm. so if you're forming a patty know that you're going to lose a lot of that fat on the on the skillet. So for me, yeah, I would I always recommend 80/20 as a general rule and then if you're trying to go cheap, you know, you know, definitely in some aspects the 80, the very fatty uh 73% is good and for certain recipes I do prefer using the like I said the 95% mm-hmm. lean stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Now I'll throw this in because this was a, a suggestion that my wife, again, the the rock star in the kitchen that she is, she was seeing my 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 putting five pounds of ground beef in the in the in the pan and, and browning it all up. Only it was just mainly just stewing it all up. It wasn't actually browning, yeah. <laughs> and it was very mushy. It was just it had very little texture. So this last time that I took my five pound tube, she she suggested that I break it up and. I put it on sheets or on on sheet pans and actually bake it in kind of crumbles instead of putting it in. And that was like night and day. The the crumbles got brown. It had some texture, had some bite to it. 
it still had all the fat in there, even though it was it was a high fat. It was a seventy seventy three percent fat or seventy three percent protein, twenty seven fat type ground beef, and that it had it still had plenty of flavor on it. And I even forgot to to, to season it before I put it in the oven, so I just seasoned it after, and it was fine uh, because it had so much of that fat in there. But it, it needed that it needed that different technique to really get some good texture because otherwise it was just. It was okay, but it was easy for me to get very bored of that texture. So that's my tip to throw in with that, regardless of the the percentage, wanting some texture to ground beef and you're not going to be using it for patties, then just crumble it onto a sheet pan and then bake it at a relatively high heat for a decent amount of time until it browns up real good. And, and that seemed to work pretty well for me. Yeah, that's sounds like a plan to me. Sound advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only thing I'll add is, and I mean, you know, I, I buy a steer at a time, so like my beef comes in one variety, and I what I can gather is eighty five percent. Just gauging by looks, because there's really no way to know. But the only thing I've uh, looked into that might make a difference if you're specifically making smash burgers and you want that really lacy, crispy edge. I think in that scenario, the fattier the beef, the the better results you're going to get. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, the last question that we'll throw out here and give you the, the chance to give a quick answer to. There's <laughs> yeah, there is a quick answer on this one. This will be the second half of the episode. <laughs> is smoking 101, please? I can't wait to have a house where he can he can smoke smoke meats. And so, yeah, you do a lot of smoking. I'm sure Berto will have plenty to to throw in, but. What again? We may just have to have you on another time to really dive one hundred percent into this topic. But what are your? What's the quick version of what you would say for what you need to know when talking about smoking meats? Let, let me hop in here real quick and tell me if I'm wrong because wow. um, you know this guy doesn't. Please, but as he was saying, he's looking to get into his house so he can, you know, so he can start. I think it's fair to assume. Now, mind you, this what I'm referring to is not going to be smoking, but the heat source doesn't really matter. Anything we say in regards to smoking, you can do in the oven as far as getting it cooked. Now, it's not going to be smoked, obviously, but the method is pretty much the same. You're just going to have a much different outcome. But like you could almost technically practice in the oven, and then when you get a smoker, perfect it on the smoker just for the sake of gauging time and how long it's going to take to cook these giant slabs of protein if that's the route you're going. Sure. You know, I worked at a restaurant that did not have a smoker and we did our pork shoulders in the oven and people would tell me all the time how good it was. And we dry rubbed the pork just like we would if we were going to smoke it. And what we ended up doing was we ended up rubbing it down with liquid smoke. And that liquid smoke is kind of a cheat way to impart some smoky flavor if you don't have a smoke very just so to to answer the smoking 101 question and not have you guys up until three in the morning <laughs> i will try to make my answer as concise as possible smoking can be as simple as buying a weber kettle for a hundred bucks and lighting the charcoal on one side and cooking with indirect heat so you light all of your charcoal or wood or whatever it is on one side and you put your meat on the other side and you play with the fire and you work with your temperatures. Smoking meat is playing with fire. That's, you know, the very simplistic, you know, thing. A good pit master can control the heat. 
Now, we have modern things like pellet smokers where they take that away and they just simplify it. The pellet smoker takes care of that for you and all you have to do is, you know, not overcook it and season it the way you want. And I'll be honest, I like sleeping at night. So I <laughs> use a pellet smoker religiously. Do I have the capability of using a, what they call a stick burner or an offset cooker? Sure. I did it for years and years. And every time I wanted a brisket, that meant I had to stay up for 18 hours. And so I never ate brisket, which is a sad way to live a life. <laughs> so my compromise was getting a pellet grill. And you can get a pellet grill for, God, as cheap as, I like to say that 500 bucks is about yeah. as low as I like to go. I'll agree with that. I and unless you want to get into the, the baby pellet grills, like the, the GMG Davy Crockett, which is, a, I mean, quite literally a portable, tiny little pellet grill. You can find those for 300 which will yeah. work, but you will quickly. Yeah, you will yeah. quickly realize shortly after buying it that you want a bigger one. Yeah, I mean, if you have any friends at all, you're going to want to have something a little bit bigger than that because you know they they just you'll outgrow it, and then you'll end up buying another one, and then you'll be like, well, why did I buy this in the first place? And then you try to sell it on you know Craigslist or whatever, and you end up getting a hundred bucks for it. So. It's an investment and you got to decide, you know, maybe getting that Weber kettle and kind of learning on that for a hundred bucks is the way to go. People like those ceramic cookers, like the green egg. I'm personally not a fan. I think they're better for grilling than they are for smoking, but yeah, you can, there's so many routes you can go. There's the purists that, you know, like in, you know, you guys know in Texas, you guys don't do a lot with the rubs. It's all about the wood and the tongue. And basically salt and pepper is the majority of the seasoning. But then you get into the Carolinas where it gets pretty inventive with the amount of spices they'll put on a pork shoulder. And then, you know, you can get into sauces all day long. And obviously, you know, most barbecue sauces are 90% high fructose corn syrup. But, you know, there are things that you can work with. There's actually a couple of really decent sugar-free barbecue sauces out right now. You've got Alterna Sweets, uh, Kinder's makes a good one, and Sweet Baby Ray actually just came out with a sugar-free that is not half bad. So, gosh. So, Barbecue 101. And I'll try to put the one, mil one more minute of speaking. Find something that you can smoke with, even a grill. If you have a grill, a gas grill, turn one side of it on, Take a bunch of wood chips, put it inside of a uh, pack of foil and fold it up and then poke a bunch of holes in it. Put that foil over the fire and then cook your meat on the, uh, the burners that you have not turned on. And that may be the way that you introduce yourself to, to smoking. So it can be that simple. And then as you develop a love for it and you discover that you're doing it every weekend, then it's time to go make that investment and, you know, God, I've spent thousands of dollars on smokers. It's, you know, I think back of all the money that I'd have in my bank account if it weren't for guitars and smokers. And that, that seems to be, and, and camera equipment now. I just keep finding really expensive habits to get into. But yeah, you know, it, it's, it's fun. There's not much better than a bunch of guys hanging around, a, you know, a smoker cooking a brisket overnight. You know, some of the best times I've had in my life are, hanging out at uh, barbecue competitions and stuff like that. So it's definitely more than just cooking dinner. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's to actually learn how to manage a fire and control a specific temperature on a cooker 
it takes a while. It, it, it's an art form. That's uh, the lady uh, from Snow's Barbecue that we were mm-hmm. talking about. That lady has been doing that since she was probably eight years old, and she's 80 now. Yeah. And I believe in the preview of the video, she actually just puts her hand over the fire, mm-hmm. and she knows if it's right. You know, yep. She doesn't have a thermometer in her pocket. Nope. She doesn't have a gauge on the end of the uh, the cooker. She puts her hand over the flame, and she goes, that feels like 275. And, you know, like I said, that is an art form. But, yeah, I would love to come back on the show and have an all-barbecue episode, and we can – make it a, a seven hour Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I will say that there's lots of options out there for smokers, kind of like what you said, but one that gets overlooked. That was what my wife and I ended up doing. My wife, she actually worked at a uh, cookie or at this uh, restaurant whenever she had a, a, you know, day-to-day operation at one point. And uh, then she also kind of ended up the pit master at a uh, youth camp for a while. And, and it ended up learning, how to do it on the big rig. And so the small little, little smoker that she had just wasn't cutting it. We ended up making, we bought a kit and we made a 55 gallon drum. drum. Uh, sure. uh, smoker. And so we, we, that's what we ended up making. And now it's quite a process to get it sandblasted to make sure that it didn't have any residue from the food, food grade liner thing left in it. And we had to prep it and make, you know, actually build it. But that's, we do, we're DIYers anyway. So if you don't want to spend a small fortune on something pre-made, you can spend a slightly smaller fortune on the kit and on the, the drums and everything else like that. We actually have a spare drum at my mother-in-law's house that if this one decides that it's starting to rust out or whatnot, we, we have that other one in reserve. We can get it sandblasted and make it. So, yeah. It's... Yeah. And David Blaco, I think, built one. I think yeah. I think he was only like 75 bucks in or something like that. And yeah. I, I'm just scrolling right now. There's no shortage of videos on how mm-hmm. to make them. Uh, they're, they're a, you, oh, can yeah, buy them. Yeah. you could buy them finished for, mm-hmm. if, I mean, I think if you mm-hmm. wanted to part with like 250 bucks, you could probably find one that that's done. There's no shortage of them out there. I mean, sure. right now I'm staring at one that it's $954 mm-hmm. and then you go on YouTube and they're building them for, you know, 75, 80 bucks. So yeah. it just depends on where you want to go. From what I understand, the beauty of those is since you're cooking vertically, mm-hmm. they are a lot more efficient. Yep. They use a lot less fuel and they stay hot for a very long time. Yes. Yes, they do. My wife yeah. will, will put in fuel at the big beginning of a smoke. 12 hours later, there's still fuel. Sure. No, they're definitely economical as far as fuel. That's, there's no doubt about that. The key that I found with those and the, the ones that you make yourself, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that there's a lot of aerodynamics that go into any yeah. pit, you know, and if your airflow is not good, it can, you know, you can either burn really high heat and you can't you can, a good control of the smoker or it just stalls out low. So I think Hunsucker is a company out of Texas that makes a Vortex drum and they are, they're not cheap. I think they're like eight, 900 bucks, but yeah, I, there's a lot of guys at the uh, barbecue competitions that smoke their briskets on those drums mm-hmm. and they power cook. So they'll cook it like 325 or 350 and they can knock out a brisket in about six, seven hours. And you know, that's impressive. So yeah, yeah there's there, endless yeah. ways to smoke meat. And uh, one of the more popular ones that just happened on their website right now is the, the actual pit barrel cooker, a veteran-owned company. Yep. They sell these things in a box ready to rock. They make a junior for 250 bucks, and 
they make the the original for 350 bucks and that's just going right off pitbarrelcooker.com. Yep. yep. Do a good job. Yep. Lots and lots of options. So, you know, that there's a lot of work that can go into to implementing any of that, but you know, that is just kind of the nature of what it is and of yep, exactly. What I, I got to say one thing because I'm in a ton of barbecue groups and I get this question every time I post a picture of me. Someone will just write time and temperature, you know, question mm-hmm. mark. And it's kind of like the person who writes, you know, recipe, question mark. Time and temperature, there's so many variables that go into that. How big was the piece of meat? A six pound brisket is going to take a lot less time to cook than a 15 pound brisket. You know, and then you take the temperature that it was outside. When you guys are down in Texas and it's 100 degrees, things are going to cook better. The the moisture, um, the humidity in the air is better than when I'm smoking a brisket in January in Maryland. So there's so many things. Smoked meat is done when it's tender. You get a thermometer and you probe it for the temperature. But more than that, you're probing it to feel the tenderness. And when that thermometer just plunges into the meat and feels like butter and it's not fighting, you know you got a tender piece of meat. So learn to cook with feel more than a recipe book, you know, when it comes to barbecue. And and that's another part of the art form is knowing when the meat's perfect. So I will leave it with that. Yeah, I really do think that we could absolutely spend an entire episode just on that and we've taken enough of your time and it's getting late so i i will we'll cut it off about there but definitely more to be discussed at, at a later date we can go into all sorts of logistics and maybe we'll ask questions for anything specific that people would have uh, questions about but yeah you covered a lot of the the basics there's best as i understand it as i again my wife takes care of most of that just because she has uh experience of cooking for a few hundred people at a time she takes care of most things in the kitchen anyway that being said any other business to attend to before we get social information from frank and how people can connect with him and all that i'm hungry again (laughs) well frank how can people uh, find you online connect with you ask questions all of that let's see my (laughs) i've got two websites culinarylion.com is all keto recipes and that's so you can find me on all the platforms you know i spend most of my time on instagram and facebook so culinary lion is the uh, the handle but i also run a uh, barbecue grilling page that it started out years ago and it wasn't all keto but it's kind of morphed into a lot of the recipes being keto friendly so it's definitely worth checking out and that's grilling 24 7 and that's uh, grilling 24 x7.com And uh, again, I'm on all the social media platforms with those. So Mm -hmm. between those two websites, there's a lot of grilling resources, a lot of smoking barbecue. I just posted a really good article on smoking brisket. I've been getting a ton of questions over the time. So I actually broke down everything from should you use foil to butcher paper to, you know, should you inject what kind of smokers? So I wrote up a big article on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, if anybody has a lot of questions on brisket, that would be a great place to start. And that is at grilling247.com. Yep. I would. I think that that people will find a wealth of information there. And I think we've gotten that tonight as well. So thank you for being on. Uh, A reminder to our listeners, uh, you can find all of our links to... Facebook groups and the podcast itself and the Facebook page 
and our uh, individual socials, uh, you can get that at our website, theketomansclub.com. And uh, so you have great ways of connecting with us there. You also have our email, ketomansclubpodcast at gmail.com. You can also give us a call, leave a voicemail at 512-518-6161. We'd ask you to do one thing. And if you found value in today's episode, whether it be just a, a tidbit of food information or that you think that some of the information that you, you heard tonight is going to help someone else think that maybe keto is achievable, whatever that situation may be, share this episode with someone else, male, female. We don't care who our listener, listeners are. We want these stories to encourage and, and inspire people to be able to to implant change in their life. And I think I use this analogy pretty much every week now, but I think it's it's totally true that we want to be a, a part of you know, the pebble that starts the avalanche for someone in their health journey and, and helping them find healing and health and being the best version of themselves that they can be. So that's that. Any parting shots, Jim Alberto? Uh, just thanks to Frank. Uh, thank you for all the advice. I do hit you up at very odd hours and you seem to get back to me in reasonable amounts of time. Uh, just a uh... I think it was just Sunday. I had an arm roast thought out, and I'm like, man, I should hit Frank up to see what he thinks about this arm roast. I'm like, you know what? Before I bother him, how about I just check his website? Lo and behold, <laughs> right there. It was, a, it was a delicious recipe for an arm roast that I took advantage of, uh, cooked it up, knocked it out, and it came out fantastic, as, as every recipe that I've ever uh, done of yours, they always do. They always come out great. You can't go wrong, man. Man, I appreciate it. And like I said, hit me up any, any anybody out there if you guys have questions about cooking something. I, I do I think have that no trouble. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying, yeah, I, I don't ever mind if I can help somebody out with the cooking question. You know, go ahead and reach out. I don't mind at all. I do uh, want to um, give you a book title suggestion, which may be the Ooh. title of this episode also, just as an FYI. I really like Hot Meat Doesn't Grind Well. So I think if you could put that on the front of a book and just that was mid water sitting, please just on you know like page four eighty seven or something that Jim Chris and Alberto gave me the idea and I love them forever. <laughs> just a little shout out someplace in the book, we'll be totally fine with that. Hot meat doesn't grind well. I mean, are there ever truer words to live by? Oh lord. Well, I think tonight's been very informative, and I really do think that there's going to be a lot of great meat meals that end up coming out of uh, this conversation for our listeners, and I hope that's the case. Until next week, make sure to eat meat, lift heavy, sleep, and repeat. Thank you for joining us for the Keto Man's Club podcast. Your support means the world to us. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Would you help us spread the word about the Keto Man's Club by sharing with your friends and family? We're available on all podcast platforms, so just search for Keto Man's Club and you'll find us. If you would like to connect with us, you can do so a number of ways. Our web address leads to our Facebook group, theketomansclub.com. That's T-H-E-K-E-T-O. M-A-N-S-C-L-U-B dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Keto Man's Club Podcast. Lastly, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out via email to Keto Man's Club Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to hanging out with you again next week. <laughs>